God's word here again. John chapter 6. Last week we had seen Jesus. Um, again, he, he is ministering to the crowds while fleeing from the crowds to spend time alone with this father to pray. And we talked about how we can only minister to others if, Lord, if, if we only first, you know, get ministry to our hearts from the Lord alone with him. And we see that Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 and ministering to them, sending them away and the multitudes away so he could go alone and pray with the Father. In the meantime, the disciples finally set sail over the Sea of Galilee. And remember, they encountered a great storm on that sea. And there in the middle of the night, the fourth watch, finally they see Jesus coming towards them. And uh, they're fearful. They think it's a ghost. And then they realize it's Christ and they cry out and he calms the sea. And we just talked about fear versus faith. And when they had their eyes on the storm, their hearts were full of fear. But when they got their eyes on Jesus, faith came in and trust came in and peace came to the situation. And so great lesson for us there. And then we saw as the Lord and the disciples arrived there on the shore that the next day the crowd that had been fed on the other side of the sea woke up wanting another meal from the Lord looking for him and not finding him. They too followed Jesus and the disciples to the other side. And Jesus called them out. He said, listen, you're here not because you saw signs that I'm the Messiah, but you're here because you were fed and you're just looking for another meal. And the Lord tried to plead with them and talk to them about the fact that their eternal soul is more important than their temporary stomachs and talk to them about salvation that only comes through him. Well, this morning we see the Lord building on this, pleading with them to partake of eternal life that is only available through them and talking to them about the fact they're looking for physical bread, but their fathers ate even that manna from heaven and they're dead, but he is the bread of life and talking to them about everlasting life and spiritual life. And in verse 63, he tells them all these things I'm talking to you about are spiritual as he was using the example of, you know, at manna and earthly bread to the fact that he is the bread of life and gives eternal life to all who call on his name. So we'll look at that this morning and then we'll close out with many of the disciples turning their back and walking away with Jesus. And it says they walked with him no more because they said the things that he said were difficult for them. And there's that little remnant being left and the Lord asking them, are you going to leave too? And them saying, listen, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life and we have come to believe. And all this is about believing and faith in the Lord. We've come to believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God. So, so many truths for us here this morning. Um, let's just start by reading verse 41 through 51. I think that will set the table nice for us here. And Lord willing, we will make our way down through the end of the chapter this morning. So let's read here verse 41 through 51. It says, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes from me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven 
that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, again, notice verse 41. It says, the Jews then. And this indicates a turn in the conversation. Again, Jesus has been having a dialogue with this group that has followed him over for a meal. And they're asking for earthly bread. The Lord really doesn't answer their questions because he knows there's an agenda behind their questions, not to really get answers, but just to get another meal. Because listen, when the Lord makes a meal, when the Lord starts breaking bread and distributing fish, it's really good food. And they had eaten till their, you know, bellies were full just the day before. And they were there wanting just to satisfy their carnal appetite. And again, the Lord has pleaded with them about their eternal souls and so forth. And they're not liking the answers that they're hearing from Jesus. So they've gone from just inquiring of the Lord, really wanting to manipulate the Lord while rejecting the gospel, to now complaining against Jesus while rejecting the gospel. And we see that their complaint is that the Lord was saying, I've come down from heaven. And this was a claim of deity. This was a claiming a claim that he was God himself, that he was the son of God. And so these complaints began to come against him. Now, listen, it's funny because they weren't complaining when they were on the other side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he was healing their infirmities and he was feeding them. And again, he was ministering to their practical needs. The complaints didn't start until he was not giving them what they lusted after, a meal that they had not work for when he gave him the gospel when he declared i'm the bread of life and you must believe in me and see believing in him and they got this included them having to repent and turn from being their own lord that's when their complaints really really began and listen most people they're fine with the idea of god as long as god is going along with their plan if they feel god is doing as they will as they desire as they would want, and so forth. But when the Lord begins to, again, uh, put heavy on their heart that they need to repent, that they need to come to Him, that they need to lay down their agenda, instead of having that motto of do as I will, they would say, let your will be done. That's when most reject Him and begin to complain. And it's not my opinion that most reject Him. We've looked at this verse many times, but in Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. And we see even in this chapter of John, as the Lord pleads with them about their eternal soul, we'll see at the end of all of this, the end of this discourse, the end of this, again, evangelistic message. And you could even say it's like a crusade where all these folks have gathered together, you know, to get fed by Jesus. They're hearing from Jesus. We see that the bulk of them leave that they prove that verse right the bulk of them leave walking again on that wide path towards that wide gate of destruction and it's sad and listen we want to make sure that this is not us as followers of jesus christ we need to make sure that we are not only fond of him when he's doing things the way we feel that these should be done but when the lord disrupts our plans has the lord ever disrupted your plans (laughs) When the Lord, again, uh, you know, it leads us down a path that we weren't prepared for. When, again, things come up in life that are 
consider trials and tribulations and the storms come up on the sea of life, we got to make sure that, again, we're in that place where we don't begin to complain against God. And those complaints and those situations, ultimately, they're complaints against God. We need to step back and recognize he's wiser than I am. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who's wiser than we are? That his ways are higher than my ways. And he knows all things. And on top of that, he's given me so many promises that he's with me to the end of the age and it'll work all things for good. We need to stand in those places. And when we get in those places where our hearts are full of, again, complaints against God, that we repent of that. That we give him praise, we give him thanks in all things. And I'll tell you, it makes those trials so much easier when we get our eyes on Jesus Christ and we just rejoice. Hey, listen, trials are going to come no matter, you know what? who my God is in this life. It is a wonderful thing to walk through the trials in life with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. Now notice here, they complain against him. And the complaint is that he is claiming that he has come down from heaven. This is a claim of deity. And they get this. And notice verse 42. They, 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 well, they say they complain because he says, I'm the bread of the bread Uh, which came down from heaven. And then they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then he says, I have come down from heaven? So they step back, they complain, and then they build their theology. And theology just means teaching upon God. And listen, everyone has a theology. People say, oh, that's a theologian. Everyone is really a theologian. Everyone has a teaching or a belief about God. We want to make sure that ours is fully based in the scriptures, the word of God. But listen, these individuals, basically they build their theology on a half truth. And that's what a lot of folks do. They'll take a little bit of truth from the scripture and then they bring their ideas and they mix them together. In fact, the end times church, the Laodicean church, Laodicea means opinion. And it's a church that takes man's opinion and God's word and oftentimes mixes them together. And the Lord says, I want you to be hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, you mix God's word with your opinion, I'm going to spoo you out of my mouth. And that's what these guys are doing. Because listen, on one hand, it was true that Joseph uh, was Jesus's earthly father. Jesus was Joseph's adopted son. That was a half truth. Listen, the Bible makes that very clear that Joseph was the Lord's earthly father, but Joseph was not his biological father. The Holy Spirit had overshadowed Mary, and the Lord was conceived in her womb. And so they just take half the truth that this is Joseph's son, but they leave out the truth that this is the son of God. And here's the thing. Again, we've read to this point in John, they've had the witness of this given to them firsthand. As we saw in the previous chapter, the Lord talking to them about that fourfold witness, where he says, if I just testify of myself that, the, that I'm the son of God, you won't receive that because, again, it doesn't hold up in court when you just go in and say, this is what happened, and you expect everyone to believe that just based on your word. There has to be witnesses. Remember, he gave them those witnesses. John the Baptist, who they all considered a prophet of God, a mighty prophet of God, has said, this is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We know that the fulfilled prophecy that Jesus was, again, uh, that was unfolding in the Lord's life was, was the second witness. We know the signs and wonders 
that could only be of God were the third witness. And then the fourth witness was the father himself who had spoken from heaven at the Lord's baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So they had the witness of the scriptures, of the prophet John, of the signs and wonders and the father himself. But they left all that out because, see, that was inconvenient for their agenda. They had an agenda. And the Lord did not go along with their agenda. They said, well, we'll get our own agenda then. Let's take a little bit of truth so, you know, it, it, it looks like we have a little bit of integrity. And then we're going to mix in our ideas and come up with our theology. We don't want to do that. Listen, don't base your theology, your teaching on truth and the teaching of God's word based on half-truths. Because, again, there's so much of that today. There's so many people, they just pick out what suits them from the scriptures and they leave the rest out. And they say, well, I, I don't believe all the Bible's inspired uh, by God. I just believe parts of it are. And then you ask them, well, what parts are inspired? And it's always those parts that appease them, right? It, they, they leave out that, well, I don't like that. So that's not inspired by God. It's just the thinking that so many people have where there, there's so many people that will say, I believe in marriage. And marriage is a biblical institute it's the first institute that god gave to man they'll say i believe in marriage but but i don't believe it's only be, be, be between a man and a woman though the scripture says you know from the beginning god made them male and female it talks about marriage and jesus reiterates that so they say i believe in marriage but this this idea of just a man and a woman i, I don't agree with that no listen we we can't build our theology on half truths there's others that will say well i believe we all need to be saved but I don't believe Jesus is the only way. And there's been surveys today amongst evangelical Christians. And it's so sad because so many of them will say, I believe all roads lead to God. All religious roads lead to God. And, and listen, only Jesus dealt with the issue of sin. And we need to make sure we're not building our theology on half-truths. Others will say, I, I believe in hell. I believe in, in hell as, as, you know, it's talked about in the Bible, but I don't believe it's an eternal place of torment for those that reject Christ and die in their sin. I believe it's just when there's a social injustice here on earth, that's the hell the Bible's talking about. Again, a half-truth. We need to make sure we are walking in the full counsel of God not what just suits us on that day. And that's what these individuals are doing, and it's to their demise. This is not to their profit. Now, notice verse 43. Jesus knows what's going on here. It says they complained about him, but they're not complaining directly to him. They're doing this behind his back. Jesus, therefore, answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. And that's something we all should underline. We should all highlight. This isn't just for that group. This is a universal command. Do not murmur among yourselves. Murmur, it means to complain against something you disagree with behind the back of the person you are complaining against. And listen, there is abundance of little murmuring groups all over the world. And all of us before have been guilty of being part of a murmuring group. And Jesus here is saying, do not do it. Do not murmur among yourselves. And this morning, listen, if you belong to a murmuring group, and sometimes it's just a group that gets together for one reason, but it morphs into a murmuring group. The Lord Jesus is saying, do not murmur amongst yourself. 
If you are trying to start a murmuring group, if you're trying to recruit people for your murmuring group, and a lot of times when people are murmuring on their own, they said, I need more murmurers around me because they're not getting the confirmation from the Holy Spirit. So they say, let me find flesh and blood to get confirmation in my murmuring. And this morning, again, if you are part of a murmuring group, or maybe you're just murmuring in your heart, it's the group is me, myself, and I, I can't encourage you enough to repent of that, to get out of that, to confess that before the Lord, and then listen, then go deal with your issue in a biblical manner. That might, might mean you just needing to forgive some people. It might mean you needing to go and ask for forgiveness. It might be you needing to go to some individual about the issue that you're murmuring about with them to go to them in love in hopes that there would be restoration or perhaps even to get, you know, the full story, whatever that is. Again, Jesus says, do not murmur amongst yourselves. Can, can we receive that this morning and say amen to that, Lord? And here's the other side of it. Listen, if, if you're the target of murmurs, if, if, have you ever been the target of murmurs? Anyone here? Where there's a group that's gotten together and they've recruited other people and you're the target of murmuring. Listen, know this this morning. If you're a follower of Christ and even just in life, it's par for the course. One of the things the enemy wants to do when you're being murmured against is for you to take on a victim's mentality. Oh, they're all murmuring against me. Oh, it's a real dangerous place to be in. Jesus is being murmured against, and he doesn't say, oh, well, it's me. They're murmuring against me. Oh, really every sin ever committed has been against the Lord Jesus Christ, and not one time do you ever see him playing the victim. Have you ever noticed that? Listen, you need to know that this morning because so many people in the world today wants to play the victim at every single turn. And in Christ, it says they're more, we're more than conquerors. If we're more than conquerors, why do we always run around being defeated and playing the victim? I'll tell you why, because it's a prideful position. It's a place of pity. It's a place of exalting self. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being so persecuted and so forth. The Lord never took that on. The Lord forgave. The Lord moved forward. And so if you're the target of these things, listen, it's par for the course. You need to pray for those people. Pray God will forgive them of their sin. If there's any truth in those murmurings, then listen, you deal with that with the Lord. But we want to go onward and upward in the Lord. And listen, if you're murmuring about others, you're not going to be able to do that. And if you're playing the victim with others murmuring against you, you're not going to be able to do that either. Now notice verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And listen, it's absolutely true that God is the active party in our salvation, that he first calls out to us. We're dead in our sins and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Any individual that will stand up and say, well, I chose God, I sought after God, they're misinformed. Romans 10 or Romans 3.10 says, as it, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Going back to the garden, when Adam sinned, he went and hid himself, and the Lord went and he found him. And unless the Lord first draws men to himself, unless the Lord first goes and seeks after men, no men are going to come and seek after him on their own. He is absolutely the active party in our salvation. 
And Jesus says this. He says, no, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now we should ask the question, you know what? Who does the father want to draw to himself? And the answer is found in the word of God. The father wants to draw all men to himself. He wants to draw all men to Jesus so all men can be raised up on the last day at the rapture of the church that, again, these physical bodies would be resurrected and take on immortality. Again, 1 Timothy 2.3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires for all men to be saved. So in that, again, the Holy Spirit convicts all of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus says, no one can come unless the Father's drawn. So we should ask the question, if it's God's desire for all men to get saved and all men to be drawn to Jesus, then why are not all drawn in and all saved? And I'll tell you why, because so many refuse to listen and learn. And again, this text is the perfect example of it. There's a massive crowd there. Again, we know on the other side of the sea, he fed 5,000 men, their wives and their children. Now they followed. And, and the father, whether they know it or not, has drawn them there to hear from the son. They're hearing directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is most of them didn't want to listen and learn. They came with their own agenda. They came with their own desires. How tragic is that? Verse 45, Jesus says to him, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. And so Jesus holds up the word of God. The word of God says, and they shall be taught by God. And that was being fulfilled right before them. Again, the complaint was he was claiming to be God because he said he came down from heaven. And the Lord points him to the scriptures being fulfilled right before them as this group was being taught by God the Father directly through God the Son who had seen the Father. The problem was they refused to listen. They refused to learn. Now listen, we are taught directly from the Father through the word of God. Are we going to be willing to listen? Are we going to be willing to learn. Hopefully, we're here with teachable hearts today. You know what? Holding everything up in light of the word of truth. But again, these individuals, they've been drawn by the Father, but the bulk of them were not receiving. And the reason why is because we read this earlier in John, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. Again, it's found there in John three sixteen down through verse 21. They love the darkness and they love the idea of just having their temporary needs met far more than having to repent of their sin to put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So though they had been drawn there and they were being taught by God, they were rejecting him and complaining against him and murmuring against him. And we'll see in a minute, they even quarreled together, you know, at, uh, amongst themselves concerning him because they loved the darkness over the light. They didn't want to turn from their sin. Verse 47, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. So once again, Jesus continues to point them to everlasting life. Jesus doesn't get sidetracked, but he keeps taking them back to the main issue that they were sinners that needed forgiveness, that needed salvation. He did not get deterred from, again, his mission that he had come to fulfill to save souls, 
to die for our sins, to resurrect from the dead, to tell the world, listen, if you believe in me, you'll have salvation. If you put your trust in me, you'll be born again. Why? Because when we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are atoned for. When we say, be my Lord, we're accepting his death on our behalf. We're believing in his resurrection. We're anchoring our hope in him. We're saying, yes, Lord, I accept your death on my behalf, that you died for my sins, that you conquered the wages of my sin, which is eternal separation from you and dying and resurrecting. And I put my hope in you that now no longer am I under the law of God that condemns me, but now I'm under the grace of God that saves me. Let me ask you, do you believe this morning? Can you say amen to that? It's a good place to be, is it not? And I love it because verse 47, Jesus says, most assuredly, most, isn't that wonderful? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. We have the assurance of our salvation. The assurance, why? Because Jesus has finished the work at the cross of Calvary. Listen, he's saying, I tell you, you're 100% saved if you believe in me. Your sins are fully covered. Oh, it's such good news. Why, why do we try to distort it with, again, uh, unbiblical theology? It's so simple. He says to him again, I am the bread of life. And he's talking about, again, eternal life here. Believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. And then he compares that with the manna that their fathers ate in the wilderness. Because remember in the last passage, we looked at them saying, hey, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, why don't you do a sign? Oh, we got an idea. As Moses fed him with manna, why don't you give us some manna? Because again, they were trying to manipulate God to get another meal. And he's pleading with them. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. They're no longer here. They're physically dead. And these men would all physically die as well. But the Lord is trying to point them beyond our time here on earth by saying, if you believe in me, you're going to have eternal, everlasting life. And that's what this whole text is about. The Lord trying to take them from the natural and point them towards the spiritual and the eternal. Now, notice notice verse 50. He says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So again, I'm the bread which comes down from heaven. You must eat to live forever in heaven. And this is where great confusion sets in with these people. Because the question comes to them, well, how do we do that? How do we eat of your flesh? Are you saying that we have to practice cannibalism here? And we have to literally eat of your body to be able, again, to get saved? But he's told them over and over again, you got to believe. How do you partake? You partake through believing. You partake by faith. And the Lord would never call us to practice cannibalism. It's considered sin in the Bible. In fact, Whenever the Lord talked about the children of Israel turning from him and their, you know, cities being besieged by the enemy, he talks about it getting so bad where they would begin to practice cannibalism and it's always associated with a curse in the Bible. Cannibalism, I mean, that's a cursed place to be. Jesus came to become a curse for us. The Bible says, cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. He bore our sin in his own flesh and rose from the grave. Then again, if we believe in him, that's how we partake of him. We don't partake of him through our stomach. We partake of him by faith 
in our soul, in our spirit. And again, and we'll get to it in a second, in this passage in verse 63, the Lord brings clarity to this. And we'll get to it here, but he says, uh, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So again, eating, it doesn't profit anything. Later on, the Lord even talks about, you know, what a man eats and so forth. And that's not what defiles him. What defiles him, what comes out of his heart. And he's saying here, what saves a man is not, again, what he physically eats, but who he puts faith in. These are spiritual things. He's trying to give them a spiritual lesson because they're so bent on having more of that fresh break bed bread from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's building on that to say, you need to eat of me. I'm trying to get your attention here. And again, in verse 29, verse 40, verse 47, in this text, he says and all over and over again, you got to believe in me. You got to put faith in me. Again, we just read it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord, not of works, lest we should boast. And you look throughout the scripture, it says, Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was saved because he believed in God. Think about the thief on the cross as he hung there and realized he was a sinner. He cried out to Christ, and the Lord didn't say, hey, listen, you got to get down from there and take communion, otherwise you're not going to be saved. No, the Lord says, surely I say to you, you'll be with me this day in paradise. Why? Because he believed in the Lord. And the Bible says, whoever believes in the Lord shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Again, we partake of him through faith, through believing in him. He says here, I will give my flesh so the world can live. And he's speaking here about the work of the cross of Calvary. He laid down his life one time. One time he was crucified he was resurrected. It's the finished work of the cross that whoever puts faith in him will have salvation. Hebrews talks about this. Follow along here with me. Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. It says, For Christ has not endured the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Notice here verse 25. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood of another, he would then have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And this is huge. Because Rome teaches that Christ has to suffer over and over and over again. That's why when you go into a Roman Catholic church, you don't see an empty cross. You see Jesus on that cross. Because they say every time they partake of communion, the literal bread becomes the literal flesh. The cup becomes the literal blood. And they crucify him over and over and over again. If some Catholic sign, we got to give him his last rites. He's got to take his last communion. The Bible says it's done. One and done. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. It's the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And we want to rejoice in that. Because if it's based on the cross plus me having to partake of communion, now it's works-based. Now it's based. Now in a way, I'm almost a co-redeemer because of what I do assures my salvation. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say, if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. We partake through faith in the Lord. Verse 52, 
The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're not getting it at all. He's told them over and over, you gotta believe, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. But confusion sets in because, listen, they're self-seeking in their heart. And in James 3, 14 through 16, it speaks of this, where there's envy and there's self-seeking. It says there's confusion and every evil thing there. And that's what's going on in this camp. Now notice 50 through 58. The Lord, they refuse to listen to Jesus and Jesus refuses to give into their foolishness. So the Lord doubles down on this illustration that he's giving to them, trying to bring them from the natural to the spiritual. Notice here, 53 through 58. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats of this bread will live forever. So again, the Lord doubles down here. He's giving them a parable and throughout Jesus's ministry, he teach with parables And he taught of those parables that those that would have a hard heart, again, would continue in that the Bible speaks of. But those that had a humble heart and wanted to receive, the parables are very simple. It's a truth that comes very clear. And what he's saying here is your fathers physically ate of the manna and they physically died. But if you spiritually, by faith, eat of me through trusting in me and the work of the cross, then you are spiritually going to live forever and on the last day you'll be physically resurrected for a christian to be absent from the bodies to be present with the lord our spirit goes to be with them but at the rapture of the church the bodies will be resurrected and they will be transformed notice what he says here though in verse 57 he who feeds on me will live because of me the bible talks about do not be deceived whatever a man sows he's going to reap you want to have abundant life in christ then feed your soul on Jesus every single day. Feed your soul through the word of God. Feed your soul through worship, through prayer. Get that murmuring out of your diet. Get that complaining out of your diet. Get that carnality out of your diet. Just a heart to live for entertainment. Feed your soul on the Lord Jesus Christ and life comes forth from that. The fruits of the Holy Spirit come forth from that. Now verse 49, it's, or, excuse me, 59 says, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, and that had become his new headquarters. If you ever go to Israel, Israel with us, we go to a synagogue in Capernaum. It's a couple centuries after the time of Jesus. It was built on the last one. It's pretty awesome to go there and consider these teachings. So they're there in Capernaum. Verse 60, it says, therefore notice, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And again, who can understand it? Mark 4, 9, Jesus said, he who has an ear, let them hear. You want to understand, lay down your agenda. But these folks didn't want to lay it down. They wanted the Lord to jump through their hoops. They were there for their carnal appetite. They were there for another meal. They weren't there to hear the Son of God teach truth. They weren't there for salvation. They were not considering their latter end. So as they came there with hardened hearts, they were in a place where they could not hear. Their ears were deaf because of the reflection and the state of their own heart, the pride of their heart. 
Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Now notice the Lord knows when we murmur and the Lord knows when we complain. Because this is when Jesus knew in himself. Again, a lot of this is going on behind his back, but he knew when they were complaining. And so again, we want to make sure that we're bringing our prayers to the Lord and we're handling things in a biblical manner because, listen, the Lord knows. And really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But there's another truth here as well. The word of God offends men that have their own agenda. Again, they wanted a meal. He said, I'm not going to give you a meal. You got fed on the other side. I'm going to offer you salvation. And when he says, no, you need to put trust in me, which implied them repenting from what they put their trust in. It was an offense to their flesh. Their flesh wanted to be appeased. And he said, I'm not here to appease your flesh. So they were offended by it. And again, those that reject Christ, the cross is an offense to it. Go read 1 Corinthians. We want to make sure that we are not walking around in judgment of the word. You know what? Saying I'm offended by the word and letting our flesh, you know, rule the day. But instead making our flesh subjected to the word And when the word comes against our own agenda, then we say, okay, Lord, help me to lay it down to take up my cross and follow you because your words are words of life. Verse 62, Jesus says, what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Now listen to this. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So again, the big crux of this revolved around him saying, I come down from heaven. So he says, listen, what if you see me ascend back to heaven as I did before? Will you believe then? And indeed, he would ascend up to heaven after his resurrection. It's interesting, the new age has what they call ascended masters. And these gurus and so forth who they say, you know what? They, They evolve to the next level of godhood. And instead of dying, they ascended up to heaven on their own merits. You know, it's hilarious to me if you go and you begin to look at the ascended masters. There's one website and you can order a five by seven of all the ascended masters. And there's all these different gurus and all this stuff. And they even got one of Jesus there. But all these Indian gurus and these people. And then there's a black and white photo of an ascended master, Annalise Scarrett. It's my great aunt who wrote the book, Ye Are God. She came out of Mormonism and a full-on New Ager sold millions of copies of, of, of her book. And it's like, that's an ascended master. I know for a fact she died in Red Bluff hiding, trying to keep her lie, you know, a secret. Listen, there's only one, and I'll be careful in how I say this. There's only one true ascended master, but he's the son of God. He's the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the grave. And he says, listen, you're gonna see me ascend. Will you believe them? Again, 63, it says, the spirit is the, that that gives life. The flesh doesn't profit you anything. So eating the bread doesn't profit you. Even if you literally ate of Jesus, it doesn't profit you. He says, the words that I speak are spirit. This is spiritual. And throughout it, over and over and over again, he says, you partake through believing me. Most assuredly, I say, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We partake through believing in the Lord. Verse 64 But there are some of you who do not believe. Again, the whole issue is belief. You don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. 
And he said, therefore, I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. So the Lord says, listen, he says, I knew from the beginning who wouldn't believe and who would believe. When someone gets saved and born again, sometimes they're like, oh, wow, I didn't think that would happen. The Lord's never surprised. He knows the end from the beginning. And when one betrays him, when one maybe, you know, it has a form of Christianity, but they don't have real faith when they betray him, it, it doesn't faze him. He, he knows that ahead of time. He knows everything ahead of time. Again, he says, no one can come unless it's granted to him by the Father. And again, the Father desires to draw all to himself, but who actually is drawn into salvation? Those who choose to listen. Verse 66 And this is so sad, and people have pointed out this before. It's John chapter 6, verse 66, 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Isn't that so sad? And really, they went back and walked with him no more because biblically, they were never really a part of him. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. And I just think how sad they went back and again, walked with them no more. And how sad, because listen, this could be the banner of so many modern apostate churches who could put something up like we used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but now we are here to entertain and meet all your felt needs. Let's make sure we're walking with the Lord. Amen. Let's make sure we're walking in accordance to the scripture. Let's make sure we're not walking in half-truths and so forth, but in the full counsel of the scripture. Lord, grant us grace and mercy to be able to do that. Almost done here, verse 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he says, also we have come, there's that word again, to believe. And know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's the thing about true disciples. They might slip. They might even stray. They might stumble. But they always come back to the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord always chases them down. Aren't you glad that that's the case? He says, we have nowhere else to go. Again, you have the words of eternal life. And again, we believe, we partake in. We have eaten, we have drank. We partaken of you. We know that you are the son of God. We, are no, we know you're the Christ. We know you're the one that Israel has looked for for all of these years. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? Now, devil means adversary. So he's saying one of you is an adversary. Others have said that this was Jesus saying, one of you is demon-possessed. Now, again, we know he's speaking of Judas here. Even, you know, the, the, the writer takes note of that. But think about this. Jesus's ministry had an adversary right there in it, a demon-possessed individual right there in it. Again, verse 71, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, Iscariot the son of Simon, for it is he who would betray him, one of the 12. Jesus doesn't mix words here. He says, I chose you, I know you. I know your true person. I know your heart. And I know one of you has everyone fooled, but I'm not fooled at all. And sadly, you read the scriptures and you see that the body of Christ is full of individuals like this. 
I don't have time to read it, but in Matthew 13, 31 through 33, Jesus compares the kingdom of God like a mustard seed. That instead of becoming a bush, it becomes a tree, which is an aberration. A mustard, a mustard seed's supposed to produce a bush, but it becomes this mighty tree, and then all these birds come and nest in it. And it's a picture of dirty birds nesting in the kingdom of God that are agenda-driven. And the thing about these dirty birds, boy, you can shake that tree all you want, and very few of them fly away. But see, the thing is, the Lord is not fooled. And he knows the difference between the tares and the wheat. The Bible has a lot of teachings about this. And it's very grievous when, you know what, individuals' agendas come out and, you know, you begin to see that they're on a different place, a different page. And you got to be careful not to judge anyone's hearts, but you can kind of take some comfort in knowing, listen, Jesus even had a dirty bird floating around his ministry there. Here's the big thing. Listen, if that's you, if you're in that place where, you know what, you are one of those dirty birds and there's some people that, again, they're absolutely in that place. They come in to disrupt. They come in with an agenda and so forth. I can't encourage you enough to repent, to fall on your face before God because eternity will be especially horrific because Jesus said about about Judas in, in Matthew 26, 24, he says, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And think about it. In the end, he sold Jesus out. He rejected him for what? For silver, 30 pieces of silver to do what with it? To purchase what? Earthly bread. He sold Jesus out for earthly bread when Jesus offered him the bread of life and eternity. There's nothing that's more important than your soul, nothing more valuable than that. And what profit it is to gain the whole world that to lose your soul. If Jesus had stuck with those people to the day they died, feeding them meal after meal, but they never came to faith, what profit would have been to them? And that's why he's pleading with them to believe in him, to trust in him. Let's stand up and, and close here in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you, God. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that indeed you are, you are the bread of life. Let us be found a people believing in you, abounding in you, God, growing in you more, being a people that are, again, not only saved and have the life of Christ, but have abundant life. And Lord, indeed, you know, you know all hearts, God. Lord, you know those today that have trusted in you. And Lord, you know if there's any here today that haven't. But I know this, as you pleaded with that crowd, you're pleading with us today. You're saying, most assuredly, whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. And that's the question. Do you believe in him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you put your trust in him? Have you come to him in repentance and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and Lord, I know it's time for me to lay down my lordship. It's time to me to die to the motto of do as thou wilt. And to say, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want to cry out to you. I want to ask you to save me. Listen, he wants to meet you right where you are today. Doesn't matter what you brought in here, what you've done. Doesn't even matter if you're a, you're a dirty bird and the 
mustard seed tree. Listen, I, I, I know that, I know firsthand some of those dirty birds that have been converted over the years and saved and become some of the mighty evangelists in the history of the church. The Lord wants to meet you where you're at, even this day. And listen, you might have everyone full, but no one's full in him. No one is. And so today, if you're saying, yes, I want to call on him. I, I need to get saved. It's time to yield to him, to surrender to him. Again, we are saved by grace through faith. And that's how we are saved, through trusting in him. The Bible also talks about affirming that faith through crying out to him and calling out to him. And if you're here this morning and you want to cry out to the Lord, I would love just to help you in that, leading you in a prayer of the profession of faith and calling on Jesus. And I'd like to do that right now. And if any of you know the Lord, and those of you that know the Lord, I want to invite you, as we've been doing, to pray along with any in that place. We want to stand with you, just confessing that we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. So let's just pray together. Pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I believe you offer that, that you are the bread of life. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to atone for my sins. Please wash me today. Forgive me. Be my Lord and be my Savior all of my days. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless any that have prayed that prayer today, God. Shine your face on them. We pray, God, for a great filling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And God, great victory over the things, God, that have stumbled them and snared them. We pray for healing in their hearts today, God. We want to pray again for a, uh, your, your mighty hand just to, to, to be upon them, that they would know that they know that, again, they have the assurance of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and you alone. Let us finish well, God, praising you. Let's lift our voices to him now as we close. Majesty enthroned the 
worship team my mic was on that horrible voice you heard was mine so uh listen we got a half hour before the next service encourage you to stick around and fellowship with some folks there's coffee out there the altars open up here uh god bless you guys have a wonderful day in the lord jesus